You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We're in week four of our Life of David series. We've seen him as a shepherd, a warrior. We'll see him as a poet and later on as a king. And the saga is going to continue. In fact, I think it's going to escalate. It's about to get what they say, cray-cray, okay? Um, The three chapters that we'll look at today, I don't know where Ross went. I was hoping he'd be right here so I could punk him out. Um, They're they're unique. They're difficult. They're intriguing um, and somewhat obscure. They're actually a perfect passage for the senior pastor to hand off to a fill-in to handle. You take these and just, just do that. At least there's one person in the audience. I thought that was going to be the kicker. Like I was like, man, that one's really going to just get them going. Taylor White didn't even laugh. Hey, so to catch us up to speed, we're, I'm going to backtrack, backtrack four chapters so that we can be caught up to speed. First Samuel 16, we see the prophet Samuel show up at Jesse's house. Jesse has eight boys and he's there to anoint one of them. All the other ones look like kings, handsome, they're built, whatever. Um, But David turns out to be the anointed king, the least likely of his brothers. His brothers resent him, some of them do. Because of that, David enters then King Saul's service and is liked very much. He's a servant shepherd being trained up by God. Chapter 17, David goes then, these are really chapter 17, Goliath. That's like a fill-in would really like that kind of chapter. Chapter 17, David's going out and he's going to encounter Goliath. And this nine-foot monster of a man who Ross says looks like this bronze bronze dragon, this bronze serpent uh, taunting the people of Israel each and every day. David hears these words. Of Goliath. He hears these words of Goliath and he responds with this Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? David's very first words in the Bible, and that's what he comes strong with. Who is this guy that defies our God? And he's about to open up a can. These strong words, remember them. David was a wonderful warrior who was trained up by God. Chapter 18 begins, as Ross had said, the absolute self-destruction, the unraveling of King Saul. It's been stated multiple times in the previous chapters that God has actually removed his spirit from Saul and has placed it on David. And Saul is experiencing this. Everyone around him is experiencing this. Saul's jealousy, his envy, his fury are about to be unleashed on David. And really, anyone who stands in his path. Saul begins his murderous attempts on David. And he seems to be really good at it. Chapter 19 What we looked at last week also looked at 18, but chapter 19, we see Samuel enter the picture again. Very unique chapter, another chapter I would not want to handle. Um, We see Samuel enter into this chapter again. He's, he's He's in a place where he's prophesying, and 
Saul sends his henchmen um, to go and take care of David because he's with Samuel. The henchmen show up and they're completely overwhelmed. They're consumed with who God is. These guys who have come to kill David are completely overwhelmed by God. Saul says, I, I know what I'm going to do. I, sometimes you got you to, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Right, guys? Right, guys? They're, they're, okay, okay. All the wives are going, you believe that? Come on, give, them, give a man a shot. Um, so Saul shows up, and then Saul, too, is overpowered. He's overwhelmed. He's consumed by who God is. And you just think, oh, my gosh, this guy was a madman, and he is consumed. He's overwhelmed. The guy, he ends, he ends up taking off his robe. And <laughs> I don't know how this happens. He ends up laying naked on the ground while Saul is prophesying. From here, the saga is going to continue. We're going to touch on three chapters, 20, 21, and 22. We'll be moving quickly, but we'll do, we'll do a 30,000 uh, foot flyover chapter 20, David runs to Jonathan. Like, like, no better time to escape from your killer when he's face down naked on the floor, right? You're like, chunk the deuce. Dude, giddy up. I gotta get. You know, and he takes off. David runs to Jonathan looking for refuge and wisdom. He makes this unbelievable oath with his, like, best friend. And Saul gets back in the game. He continues to unravel. Chapter 21, David continues on the run from Saul and begins to make some really grave mistakes, in my opinion. I think it's also in chapter 21 where David kind of turns the spiritual corner and gets his feet under him and gets his feet set on solid rock again. David remembers who God is. Chapter 22, David continues running. David, it's just, this is, begins his life and will continue kind of his life in exile. Chapter 22, he runs, he finds a little bit of rest, and God, I think, reinstates him into his leadership position that he has called him to. So before we jump in, I want to pray for our morning today. Jesus, thank you. Oh, Lord, what a blessing it is to be together. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for communion. Thank you for the gift of remembrance. I pray that... Uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So before we begin, I just want to kind of clear the air. Sometimes when maybe you read the Bible and, and, and ministry that I do, I always invite people into the story. Come and be a part of the story. Put yourself in that story. Who are you? Who are you going to be? What role are you going to play in that? And so just to remember that these are real people with real lives, with real struggles, with real marriages, with real trials, with real temptations. These aren't fables. These aren't allegorical. These are real folks like you and like me. So I think sometimes we can say, well, that, that was back then, or that was David, or that was Saul. These are ordinary people. These are ordinary people, and they're inviting us into that. Now, we're going to kick off chapter 20. It was just 
four chapters earlier, this is 1 Samuel 20, chapter 20. It was just four chapters earlier where David was anointed king. About 15 years old. He's out in the field. Samuel shows up and he's anointed king. It's not going to be until 20 years later that that anointing comes to fruition. So David's anointed king. It's not going to be until 20 years later until he becomes king. And man, I just think, what has God promised you that might come to fruition five years, ten years, twenty, thirty years later? But if you're like me in our fast food microwave society, we want it now. We have to remember those promises and we'll circle back to that. But here we are, chapter 20. We'll go back to anointing of king. After he's anointed king about 18 months later, so 16 and a half, maybe 17 years old, we assume, um, David is then in the Valley of Elah. That's where he silences Goliath, right? God uses him in amazing ways. He was close to God, was friends with God, and God used him. Seems like another 18 months have now passed, and this basically catches us up to speed in chapter 20. Seems like David is going to kind of get off track just a little bit, or at least on the outside. And man, when we're influenced by our secular world, whatever that is, we're running from our past or we're paralyzed by the world out there, those things can have an effect on us. Especially when we forget God's promises. So I think a big question this morning is, how do you, how do you reconcile God's promises when they don't match up with life circumstances? How do you reconcile the promise of God, who He is and who you are in Him, in Christ, and your life circumstances? Man, sometimes they're, they're, they're clicking like a chicken. Sometimes they're in. They're in it, right? But other times, man, they're just flying. They're, they're just looking different. I think that's where David is. And David, we're going to see in chapter 20... Um, like I said, you, verse 1, Then David fled Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? David's seeking answer. He gets out of Dodge. He runs to Jonathan. Their buddies already deep friendship. It's like, man, what have I done? Why does your dad want me dead? Jonathan doesn't believe this. Like, why do you feel that way? You shouldn't feel that way. My dad... but. David, just a chapter ago, my dad said, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. That's what daddy said. I'm going to believe daddy. He's about to get his world rocked. But as Ross said last week, Saul heard, in talking about this, Saul heard the truth and he responded to David or to, to Jonathan. But just hearing the truth isn't enough. Just hearing the truth isn't enough. Saul heard it, but he didn't believe. Saul wanted 
David's blood, and Jonathan begins to help David escape for fear of his friend's death. And Saul learns of this, and he's going to see his dad's true colors really come out. Verse 30, look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, verse 30. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Tell me how you really feel, Dad. Like, dude, are you on crack? What is wrong with you? He is totally going after Saul. Then Saul, in verse 33, it says, But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Apparently, Saul's not a very good shot. He tried multiple times to kill David with the throwing of his spear. He tries it at Saul, and he misses. And then Saul, Jonathan, it really kind of connects here. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Well, <laughs> you think so? Yes. He's after David. He, he's going to kill everybody that stands in that path. Saul is livid. He's seething with anger. Jealousy has completely enveloped Saul, and it's destroying him from the inside out. Saul was, Saul was the king of Israel, chosen by God. And he lost his way. He lost his way. He was more about his kingdom and his agenda rather than what God had called him to. And you and I have that same exact choice. We can choose to be about our kingdom and our agenda or about God's kingdom and God's agenda. My hope is that Psalm 37, 4 says that delight yourself in the Lord. Come up under who God is. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart so that your agenda becomes God's, becomes God's agenda. But either way, God gives us that, that choice. What a gracious God we have. Chapter 20 ends with verse 42. It says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. I don't know how you do that when a guy is trying to kill you and your entire family. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back up or went to the town. Just the verse before the second half, it says, Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Man, this unbelievable friendship, this depth, this authenticity that honestly, you and I long for. We are created to be in relationship with each other. Somehow, because of the world, the busyness, technology, we, we feel connected, but we're none of us, some of us are not connected. The majority of the world is not truly connected an authentic friendship, and we invite you in to that. Come and serve. Be a part of a team that serves. Come and be a part of a small group where you are known, where you're opened up, and you let folks see who you really are. That's when life gets real, and that's what friendship is about. We're going to kick it off in chapter 21, and it's about to get rip-roaring wild. 
So here we are. David picks up, chapter 21, I'm sorry, picks up with David. You can read it. Verse 1, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech. Okay. So David's on the run. I don't know how long it's been since he's spoken to Saul. But he's about to do something. I talked about a difficult passage here. This is something you can really talk to Ross about. Ross would love to answer this question. David says this, answers Ahimelech with a lie. He, he's in the church. He's talking to the priest. It's almost like a double lie, it feels like. You know, like, you, you can lie, but now you're in a church lying to a priest. That's like doubly bad somehow in my twisted mind. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, now that we got that little lie out of the way, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread, what Ross talked about during our communion service. Provided the men have been kept have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us. So you might be thinking, he just said he didn't have any men, and now he's saying he does have men. Well, David was a part of the kingly leadership, and none of the kingly leadership is there with him. He has some people, some servants there with him. So David re- replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, and as usual, whenever I set out, The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was now, I'm sorry, by the day it was taken away. And so David shows up, seems he's on the right track, shows up in the church, talking to a priest, but things get all, all, all jumbled up, all tangled up, all messed up because of this. He shows up to the temple hungry, shows up to the temple alone, shows up to the temple empty-handed, and totally on the run. And David is going to then hook him up with some vittles, with some bread to fill his stomach. And then verse 7 is, is just, this is one verse is going to be, yeah, I'm a, uh, uh, dude, I'm on the king's business. Maybe Ahimelech is in cahoots with King Saul. Doeg is here, and he's the eyes and ears. He's listening. He's being detained uh, in front of the Lord for some reason. But he's listening. He's like, hmm, Ahimelech and David, maybe they're together in this. This is going to end up leading. This one encounter, Doeg listening in, is going to lead to the entire destruction, annihilation of this entire town of Nob. And David is going to look back and end up regretting his entire interaction there. Verse 8. <laughs> this is amazing. Now David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business is urgent. He circles back around to the lie. Hey, you got... You got you got any nunchucks? You got a gag? You got you got a Glock? You got an AR? Hey, you got a spear? You got a, what? Do you, do you have any any of that? I, I I didn't grab mine. Didn't grab my sling. I was in a hurry. The king's urgent. The, the king's business was urgent. 
The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. That's awesome. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. That's it. I put myself in this story. See the sword, and I can just imagine this music playing in the background. Hit it, Maestro. I'm walking up to the to the sword. It's wrapped in linen behind the ephod, and I take it out, put my hands on the sword. Go ahead and tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I, am. Yes, that, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking, that is me. This is the sword. Do you remember what happened? I'm the man. But God, what, what has happened to me? It was 18 months ago. Just, just 18 months ago, God, what's happened to me? Look how far I've fallen from you, Lord. I am the anointed, and here I am in the temple of the Lord, and I'm lying to the priests. What happened? Just three years ago, and you anointed me. How far I've come, or how far I've fallen. Here I am holding Goliath's sword that I lopped off his head with and I walked into Jerusalem with his head held high. And here I am. I'm on the run, living in that life of exile. Thank God, what is going on here? You don't feel anointed. What has happened to your promise? The value to remember who God is. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21 and 20, 20 and 21 says, For no matter how many promises, for no matter how many promises, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, through Jesus, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Yes! Let's go, Bethel! Let me rewind that and play that back, Okay. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, through Jesus, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We have to be those who remember a people that remembers. Have you ever felt like David? Man, have you look back on your life? Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was 18 months ago. Maybe it was a month ago. You look back on your life when your relationship with the Lord was just sweeter than it is now. Maybe you've even asked your, yourself that same question. God, what's happened to me? All of us have valleys. All of us have mountaintop experiences in our journey with the Lord. Somehow, personally, for me, it seems like my darkest times, my, my deepest valleys come after my most 
amazing experiences with Jesus. Maybe that's what's happened to David. Had this amazing experience. And he's finding himself in a place that maybe he didn't think he would ever be. So where are you? Where are you today? Are, are, are you where you need to be? Don't you love that question? I hate that question. Are you, are you really where you need to be with Jesus? No, I'm not because I'm not in heaven. Like, like I was created for eternity. I'm here right now. And so I'm not where I need to be. But you get the point of it. I mean, how are you and the Lord today? You look back and kind of relive those glory days. You did when you played football at Robert E. Lee High School. You were the man. How are you today? Look back. Think about that. Have we lost our first love for the Lord? David's doing everything he can at this point to run from pain, to run from sorrow, and ultimately to escape the grip of death. We all do this same exact thing every day. I've never been in a, in a physical fist fight because I don't want to get hit in the face. True story. I walk away, run away, whatever it took. I, I, none of us are going, oh, that's the pain road? Yeah, put me down there. Oh, a sorrow. Yeah, I really want some sorrow in my life. No, all of us turn away from that. But we serve one greater than David. He's a better David than David. And his name is Jesus. And he didn't run from the pain. He didn't turn from the sorrow. He chose the grip of death. And for what and for who? He did it for you and he did it for me. He did it for you and he did it for me. Just let that sink and let that marinate on your heart of what God has done. He's not a religion. He's not a denomination. He's a person. He's a living God. He endured so much pain and so much sorrow, even death on a cross, so that He could be, we could be in relationship with Him. That's who... Jesus is. We read a Bible to our children called the Jesus Storybook Bible. In it, um, the tagline, the, the title, Jesus Storybook Bible, the tagline is, Every Story Whispers His Name. All of the Bible. You, you've seen Ross that the past three weeks, every time he, he circles back around, he brings it back around to who Jesus is. That every story, the Old Testament, New Testament, that every story is whispering his name. And the crazy thing, the craziest thing is that you and I can read God's word and we can miss it. We can come to church and we can miss it. We can be involved in a lot of great uh, uh, FCA or Young Life Leader or Gospel Village Mentor. We can be in these things and we can miss Jesus. The Pharisees were a prime example of that. They knew God's Word. They studied God's Word. <laughs> and Jesus tells them in John 5.39, He says, You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you will possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Man, we can do a lot of good. We can do a lot of Christian-y things and still miss Jesus. It's actually very scary, especially here in the South, in the Bible Belt, in the buckle, whatever we call this place. We can miss Jesus in that. Okay, so we're going to pick it up. We're going to hit these last four verses, and um, it's going to continue to get more interesting. That day, this is 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Remember Gath? But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain thousands. David is tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. <laughs> David continues to be, pretends to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. This is God's anointed king. And he's acting crazy. I mean, he's making marks on the doors, saliva all over his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short a madman that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? David takes Goliath's sword and he heads to Gath. Why are you pausing like everybody knows? I don't know either. Five chapters earlier, verse 4 says, A champion named Goliath was from Gath. Now you got to be going, hmm. So you, you take a champion's sword who you kill, Philistines, and the smartest place probably to go would be back to his hometown. Not like, like to me, that's a crazy move. That's a crazy move on my part. The Philistines end up capturing David. We don't see it in this little section, these four verses, but if you were going to look at Psalm 56, it's going to say that very exact thing. David seems to have hit an all-time low, at least again on the outside. He's in a pagan nation wielding his ex-champion sword, looking for refuge, and it backfires. He becomes afraid and begins to look uh, uh, like a madman, act like a madman. Obviously, they've heard the Israeli music that Saul has killed thousands and David tens of thousands. Says, this and this, David, the king of the land? They've heard of him. His reputation has preceded him. And it's here that David pens Psalm 56. Psalm 56, the first part of it, you're like, well, how do you know it's connected um, to this passage? Because it says it right in the little title. Psalm 56, for the director of music, to the tune of Dove and distant on distant oaks. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Never heard of it. Of David, a mictum. When the Philistines had seized him in Gath, they had captured him. They had taken him prisoner. 
verse 8 says, Record my lament. Listen, my, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Didn't make sense for the man who carried Goliath's sword to go to Goliath's hometown. It didn't make sense for the man who was sustained by the sacred bread of God to find refuge among the pagans. And it didn't make sense for the man after God's own heart to change his address to Gath. Here, I think, in Psalm 56, David's journey goes from fear to now praising God while he's a prisoner in Gath. 56, Psalm 56, shows this slide that started on the road from Jonathan and has now ended up in Gath, is now stopped. David is on higher ground now. This was the difference really between David and Saul. Both of them slipped, but Saul just kept sliding. While David repented and turns back to the Lord. Psalm 56 happens um, before his escape. He's, he's in prison. He's writing this while he was seized in Gath. And it made sense that the Lord would guide David into a path of escape that would humble him. When David tried to protect himself with lies and tried to find refuge among the ungodly, he was acting crazy. Maybe not insane crazy, but believers don't act like that. People who are anointed don't act like that. You're making crazy decisions. Why are you thinking that way? Why are you acting that way? Why are you treating those people that way? You're acting crazy. Again, the value of having men and women in your life who will lean in, who will challenge you. He was acting crazy. It's like when David repented and he asked for mercy in Psalm 56 and trusted in the Lord again, it was almost like the Lord was saying, hey, hey, bro, you've been acting like a madman this entire time. Keep this act up and I will get you out of it. Keep acting like, just keep this act going. I've got a plan. Psalm 34, he's going to, really, chapter 20, 21, and 22, David's going to write about seven-ish psalms during this time. So again, it seems like he's really off track. Again, from the outside, there's this different uh, kind of steadiness, this rhythm that's going on inside David. Psalm 34 says this, um, when he was driven away and he left, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left, Abimelech or Achish, says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David is especially joyful because the Lord got him out of a mess that he himself made. God's amazing goodness is shown when he delivers us when we don't really deserve it, which is always. We never deserve God's grace. That's why it's grace. That's why 
it's grace. David was the perfect poet being trained up by God. We're going to kick it into second cha- or 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. <sighs> the caves of Adullam. Adullam is an area halfway between Bethlehem and Gath, which are only about 15 miles apart. You can see them from one another. The caves are going to be right in the middle. It's near the valley of Elah where David slain Goliath. Adullam means refuge. It's like, oh, man, the Sabbath, the rest, refuge, Adullam, the cave for me to be here, God, you are good. Now allow this to sink in for a moment. David has been stripped of everything he loves and everything he can count on. David has been brought to absolutely nothing. He has no wife. He has no home. He has no friend. He has no food. We don't even know if he's wielding Goliath's sword. David is in this cave absolutely alone and absolutely broken. And it's from this cave that David then pens also Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. Psalm 142, verse 4 says, Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains in me. No one cares for my soul. Keeps going. Verse 5, I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. That's exactly what happens. Verse, the second part of verse 1. When his, brothers, um, when his brothers in his father's household heard about this, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around. I'm thinking, that's pretty much everybody in the world, isn't it? They gathered around, and he became their leader. He became their captain. About 400 men were with him. So he's there. He's alone. People are always after him. Saul and his henchmen are always in pursuit. David's alone in this cave, and he's writing, just crying out to the Lord. And he sees some figures coming. It's like, oh, man. This is it. This is it. Turns out, it's his, excuse me, it's his brothers, it's his folks, and it's 400 other people who end up, out of the 400, end up becoming the mighty men of David, the mighty men of valor, David's mighty men. They were broken. They were distressed. They were discontent. And they began to hang out with David, their leader. The anointed. Jesus is that better David. Jesus is a better David than David. When we spend time with Jesus, we change. We are different. We live different. We look different. We speak different. Spend time with the Lord. It's going to go on, verse 3. From there, David went to Mitzvah and Moab said to the king of Moab, I need a place to hide my family. Verse 5, But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay here. 
go into the land of Judah. And he left. Moab, he needs a safe place to keep his family. All right, what's so special about Moab? David's great, great, grand, great, great grandmother, Ruth, is from Moab. There's family there, or at least they're from there. He's going to take his family and station them there. And then Gad, the prophet Gad, is going to say, hey, it's time for you to leave and go to the land of Judah. Judah meaning this time I will praise the Lord. David gets out of prison, out of a pagan nation. He ends up in refuge, a dulum, and he ends up ultimately in Judah, in the land of praise. See, life is full of trials. It's full of maybe a smattering of mountaintop experiences, but a lot of valleys for a lot of us. We have a choice. Will we run to Gath? Will we run to the world? Or will we run to Adullam, to Judah, this land of refuge, this cave of refuge, or this land of praise? Maybe the day is that day for you. I don't know your heart, but you do. Are you, are you okay? Are you loving your relationship with the Lord? Are you in a dry season? Are you in a wilderness? Have you walked away? I don't care that you're at church. Like, that's not... That's not salvation. That's the, just because you come to church doesn't mean you have a, a thriving hunger for righteousness in Jesus. How are you in the Lord today? Maybe today you find yourself in gap, far from home, fully engulfed in the world. You're lying. Life is crazy. You've walked away from Jesus, so I want you to know you're not alone. You're not alone. The struggle with all the churches that all of us have it together, none of us have it together. Let me just clear the air. If you're going, man, I need the right clothes to wear. I need to comb my hair the right way. I need to look, you know, trendy. Just come. None of us have it together, and you're not alone. All of us have been there in some form or fashion. There is no peace. There is no refuge in the world. What you're looking for is found in Christ, in Christ alone. You're His beloved. You're His favorite. You're His prized. You're His forgiven. Even if you don't feel like it. I don't want to discount or discredit feelings, but, man, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you feel. It's what you know to be true. It's what you know to be true, and these are God's truths. Circle back around to 2 Corinthians 1, chapter, or verse 20. It says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. There's a song after that verse. It's called Yes and Amen, a house fire. Listen to it about once or 20 times a day. Love, that's my jam at the moment. And in there it says, the, the last part it says, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. We have to Learn to continue or begin to 
say, to know, to believe, to live out God's truth. Begin to remember who He is. The world is rough. The world is violent. The enemy wants to take us away. The enemy wants to shame us and put us in a corner and say, you're alone. No one would ever do that. No one would ever think that. No one would ever act that way. And that's not true. We're all tempted like that. Maybe today is a time for you to come home. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is His faithfulness. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have violent reactions, please come and talk to us. Come talk to Ross. Come talk to Todd, to me, to anybody who's maybe wearing a sport coat. This is a rental, by the way. Come and talk to us. We'd love to talk that out. Maybe you need to get right with your spouse, get right with your kids, get right with Jesus. Maybe today is the day we invite you to come home. Let me pray.